Well, welcome everybody to all of our campuses meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. So glad you made it to church. It's awesome to see you. I also want to welcome those of you who are watching online around the country and world, and especially those of you who might be watching from London. I think there's a little game going on over there, but glad you're dialed in with us because this is actually more important than that game. But anyway, glad to have all of you here today. We're in a series called Faith That Works based on the book of James, and what's great about James is he just kind of goes after it. So in chapter one, he tells us there's actually a purpose to our problems. I don't know if you knew that. Anybody have any problems here? There's actually a purpose to your problems that make us stronger and more perseverant. In chapter two, he says that our works actually reveal our faith, what's inside of us. In chapter three, he says our words actually drive our life, that the things we say, things that are said to us actually drive our life. And now in chapter four, he says it's our untamed desires, untamed desires that cause our conflicts, and it's, it's as if James took the entire Bible and said, you know, if I had to condense the Bible to just three pa- or five pages, this is what I'd want you to know, and he put it together in five chapters in James. So he begins chapter four, and he asks a very relevant question in chapter four, verse one. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Now, let me just pause right there for a second. Don't raise any hands, but anybody here or watching online going through a fight with somebody right now? Anybody having an argument, a quarrel with someone? You know, it might be a, a, someone you're married to, your spouse, could be a son or daughter, could be your parent that you're fighting with, could be a colleague at work, a classmate, a friend. Anybody having a fight, having conflict with someone right now? James goes on to tell, tell why this happens. What causes these things among you? Don't they come from, now watch this, from your selfish desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. And so we become jealous for what others have, so you fight and quarrel to try to get it. You know, I was happy about my house until I saw yours. I was happy about my race till I heard about your race. I was really happy about my car, my vacation, my job, my hair, my complexion, my figure, until I saw yours plastered all over Facebook. And now I'm mad. And now I'm jealous and all twisted up because I want what you have. Isn't this what causes a lot of conflict and inner turmoil for a lot of us? For many years, I was very, very envious of my brother-in-law, Dave. He's a couple years younger than me. Right out of college, Dave Cole got a job with PPG in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Paint and Glass. Quickly moved up, was promoted to vice president of Pittsburgh's a PPG's transition, transition lenses. I'm actually wearing transitions today. He began managing the accounts in Europe and South America as a very young man. So while I was in school and living in a van down by the river, basically, Dave was flying around the world and building their beautiful home in Pittsburgh all before the age 30. What made it worse, what makes it worse, is he's a, he's a Notre Dame fanatic, Now, I might be for the Irish if Dave wasn't so absolutely crazy, obnoxious about it, but for over 30 years, I've had to listen to Dave and Molly's, you know, private passes to the Masters, private passes to Wimbledon, cruises to exotic places like Greece and the Caribbean, and then he became CEO of Transition Lenses, which was the corporate sponsor of the Transitions Golf Tournament which meant that Dave Cole would be interviewed on NBC national television. 
The day that happened, he did annoyingly well. <laughs> he played in the celebrity tournament alongside Sergio Garcia and Luke Donald, and then on Sunday, I watched my brother-in-law present the winning check to Luke Donald, who was at the time number one in the world. I was, I'll never forget this. I was sitting in my 10 by 12 living room with a bag of Doritos. Well, I watched Dave on national TV, and it just kind of makes you sick a little bit, <laughs> which is why I smiled at Dave and Molly's misfortune on a ski trip they took to Lake Tahoe a few years ago. My wife and I were watching the news one night when a weather alert came across the news channel there on the bottom of our screen, and they were predicting the worst blizzard on record bearing down on Lake Tahoe with up to 12 feet of snow. Lori said, isn't this the weekend that Dave and Molly and the kids are in Tahoe? I said, let's give them a call. See how they're doing, just to say hi, wish them well. So we did. Molly answered the phone. She said, you can't believe it. It's the worst storm ever. They've closed the mountain to skiing. There's no place to go, nothing to do. The local news said, leaving your house or condo is a life or death decision. She said, to top it all off, I have a viral sore throat and a bad case of pink eye. I'm just kidding, okay. By noon the next day, they were so bored and desperate, they actually gave their three kids 20 bucks each and said, go gamble at the casino. But the kids were so depressed, they didn't even take them up on it. The next day, they barely made it to the airport, discovered their flight was canceled, and had to spend the night in the airport. It took them 33 hours to get from Lake Tahoe to Tampa, Florida, where they live, and their luggage ended up in Philly. <laughs> and I know it's wrong, <laughs> but I couldn't help but just be a little happy about that situation. But let me say real quickly, Dave Cole's a great guy, by the way. He, he's just an amazing Christian, faithful to his wife and kids. I'm actually now genuinely happy and proud of him, but it's taken me 30 years to finally get over it. James says, what causes this? What causes this this fighting, this tension, this inner turmoil among us, don't they come from your selfish desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get what that other person has. I wonder what that might be for some of you today, because I think, honestly, I think all of us have something that kind of stirs within us. When somebody else has it so good, there's something that gets us going. You know, maybe for some of us, it's the parade of homes. You know, we walk through those beautiful new structures, and then we drive home to our dumpy place. It's like, I can't hate those people. Or maybe it's, you know, somebody's yard. It's so much better than yours. Or somebody's car or property. For others, maybe it's appearance, and it just drives you crazy. Or body shape. You know, what, what gets me a little torqued, just between you and me, are books. This is, this is a, a, a sore spot. You know, part of it... Uh, I've authored a couple of books. I'm working on a third, but my book sales are very average. They're successful, but not great. And it's never been about sales or, or the money for me. It's always been God's leading in, in these things. And I, I think I did the right thing there. But when I see that John Maxwell, for example, or Henry Cloud or Kyle Eidelman write a bestseller, bestseller it can just, mm, just gets me a little bit. You know, I should be happy for them, and I am happy after I get over my desperate unhappiness. But I wonder, what is it for you? 
You know, what causes fights and tension and jealousy in some of you? You know, for some of you, it's this right here. Now, for those under 30, you think this is a hashtag? That's wrong. This is a number sign. And for some of you, th this drives you crazy. The number of deals that other person made. You know, the number of acres that person has. The amount of money, that number that sits next to your portfolio or theirs. Gang, it's just a number on a sheet that has no bearing on your daily life whatsoever. But this little ink mark, it's not a hashtag, it's a number. This little ink mark on a piece of paper drives you crazy. Frustrates you. Frustrates me sometimes. James says, what causes this quarreling and inner turmoil, it comes from our desires that battle within us. I woke up at 4 a.m. one morning recently thinking about this word desire because he says this is the cause of our problems. And I, I actually think it's untamed desire because there's nothing wrong with desire. We all have desires that are God-given, needs and desires. But he says it's these untamed desires where we start to quarrel and fight and tense up. So I, I thought about what are common desires that most of us have. And these are just common, God-given, by the way. God-given needs and desires. Food, we all need food and desire that. Shelter, place to uh, live. We all need rest or sleep, work, money, sex. We'll talk about sex in just a second. Exercise, entertainment is, is fine. Solitude, we all need a little, you know, just to get a break. Worship, so glad all of you are here today and watching online. Wait, that says something, by the way, about your heart, about your priorities. Way to go. We all need relationships, coffee, sports, and hunting. Those are God-given, you know, God-given normal needs that everybody has. So, uh, so these are quite common among all of us, and this is what it might look like in a healthy person's life. If God is at the center of your life and and kind of directing and influencing and guiding you into all these areas, it's not going to be perfect balance, but there should be proper balance. So for example, you know, work takes about eight or nine or 10 hours a day. Every day, it takes a long time to work. We all have to sleep, you know, eight or nine hours or so. So that takes a lot of time. So it's not perfect balance, but it should be proper balance. And we all need relationships. And so there's, there's time for that. We all need to have food. We all need to have coffee and Talk about sex in just a minute. So that's what a healthy life might, might look like. But here's what happens to some of us. Work becomes our obsession. That's all we do. Six, seven days a week we work, and it squeezes everything out so we don't have time for rest or relationship, and we're just flying and it's unhealthy, it's an obsession, entertainment. Some of us, we just need to be entertained all the time and something has to be on all the time and I get it. I'm the same way, I watch a lot, of, way too much TV but it's like I, I, I gotta be at the game, I gotta have season, I, gotta, I just gotta be plugged in all the time and I'm telling you, it can squeeze out worship. It can squeeze out solitude that your soul needs can actually infringe on your work where you're not working right or exercise or anything. So these things can get out of balance. And, and so, you know, food, for example, is, is, a, is a, a need that we all have and a common desire. But the problem comes when food becomes an obsession for some of us. Sex is a God-given need and desire to be enjoyed in the context of marriage. God-given. The problem comes when sexual desire turns into obsession 
or an addiction or perversion where it's all you think about, drives your life. Hunting, again, is a God-given need and desire, and so, you know, you got to go to South Dakota once in a while, which I did last week, and it's awesome. But here's the thing about that. I know some men whose obsession for hunting ruined their marriage. It's ruining their families. They can never turn it off. And it's go, go, go. And it's all about what I want to do. And it can ruin your life. So desire isn't bad. It's, it's untamed desire that can turn into obsession or addiction. And when somebody's desire for food, drink, sex, sports, entertainment, work, or social media turns into an addiction, it can ruin your life. So James says, what causes fights and quarrels? Don't they come from these untamed desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. So you actually kill, maybe not literally, but you just begin to hate that person. You covet, you obsess. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be free of all that? To be free in your spirit? The question is, how do we control our desires so our desires don't morph into obsession that destroy us? Let me offer you a couple helps on this. You got to bring God into this whole area of, of desire. And so James says, you don't have what you want. You're frustrated because you don't, you don't ask God. You don't bring God into your life. And the question is, who or what is going to drive our lives? And some of you are saying, well, Bob, I'm going to drive my life. I'm going to decide how to spend my time, how to spend my money. It's my money. It's my time. I'm going to decide that. I'm going to decide who to hang out with. I'm going to decide my entertainment and recreation choices. It's my life. I'm going to live it my way. The question is, how is that working for you? It can work fine for a while. But I want to ask a question. What is the true condition of your relationships? What is the true condition of your finances? What is the true condition of your soul and my soul as well? How is life going if God is not at the center of these things? Gang, God does not want to ruin our lives. God wants to fulfill our lives and free us from regret and misery with this overbalance or this out-of-balance desire that some of us have. But you got to let him guide you. You gotta let guide you in your, God guide you in your spending, in your work area, your relationships and decisions. James says we don't often have what we want because we don't ask God. We don't involve God in every part of our life. The psalmist David said it this way, delight yourself in the Lord. In other words, words pursue God, which is, again, what you're all doing here at one of our campuses here at church or watching online. You are pursuing God. You are finding delight in worshiping him. Way to go. Delight yourself in the Lord. And here's what happens. He will give you the desires of your heart. What it means is that when you begin asking God to be involved in your life, he will actually change some of your bad, destructive desires into helpful, better, more fulfilling desires. Delight yourself in God and he will. And by the way, the way I do that is I spend just 15 minutes every day, not every single day, but most days in God's word, I read a little bit, just one chapter or so. I pray I spend time writing, uh, reading a chapter or so out of a, a great book right now. I'm, I'm reading Erwin McManus's book, The Last Arrow. It's fantastic. Inspires my soul. Just yesterday morning, the morning before, 
and it, and it sets my day on track, and I'm, I'm in tune with what God wants me to do, how God wants me to live, what he wants me to say and do. I challenge you, 15 minutes. Bring God into your life. Second thing to get control of this out-of-control desire that we often encounter is learn to say the word enough. Such a great word. Enough. What I have is enough. Uh, James says you kill and you covet because you don't have what you want. But what if we said what I have is enough? There's usually something more that I want. You know, I want more shoes. I want more boots. I can never have enough. I've got so many boots, but I want more. I I want hunting stuff. But here's the truth. The older I get, the more I am realizing that things don't have the ability to make me happy. They really don't. I, I like things. I like my guns. I like my truck. I like my golf stuff. But this, this, this golf club, this is my driver. This thing, and some of you are saying, I want that. <laughs> well, tough. <laughs> but this thing that sits in my garage most of the time does not have the ability to make me happy. It's just, it's just a thing. I mean, I need it to play golf, but it doesn't make me happy. It makes me a little happy, but not, it, it, it just doesn't have that ability, that sustaining ability. And I, I'm, just, I'm just so bummed out with the weather that we're having. But, <laughs> but this thing does not make me. But when someone has more than me, more money, more acreage, the latest Callaway driver, I, I, I can get jealous about that. And I say, how come I don't have that? But as long as we compare what we have with what somebody else have, we will never be happy because here's the truth. There will always be somebody else who has more than you, right? There will always be somebody else in your life who has more than you. And if you spend your time comparing your life to theirs, you will never be happy. There will always be someone. You have to get over that. So here's my challenge, and I think it's, it's a big key to reducing quarrels and conflict. Start, start saying the word enough. What I have right now is enough. My home is enough. My car is enough. My boots, my money is enough. I'm going to choose to be content with what I have. Now, let me give you some perspective on this. Because, of, because some of you don't think you have enough, and I get it. Money's probably the biggest area of uh, discontent because during a single football game, we will see 50 commercials telling us that what we have is not enough. There is always a better phone. There's always a better vacation spot. There's always a better car. So no matter how much we have, we, we never think it's enough. But imagine something with me just for a minute. If the entire population of the world was 100 people, so there's about 7 billion people on the planet now, right now. Just pretend that those 7 billion were represented by 100 people. If that were true, 85 of those people would live in substandard housing, which means they wouldn't have running water or electricity. Now, don't raise any hands, but how many of you have running water or electricity? 80 of those 100 people would be hungry. Not starving, but they'd be malnourished. They, they wouldn't have enough to eat to sustain a healthy diet. 
If the world was 100 people, six of those people would live in the United States, but those six would account for over half of the world's wealth. So just by virtue of living in the United States, you could make the case that compared to the rest of the world, you know, most of us are pretty well off. Now, I know if you can't pay your bills right now or you're out of work, you might not feel that way. But gang, here's the truth. It's, it's very easy for us to compare ourselves only with those who live in nice neighborhoods and drive nice cars and never compare ourselves with the 6.5 billion other people who live below poverty level. And we need to start comparing ourselves globally. You know, if you, if you own a car, you are in the top 2% of the world's wealthiest people. If you own two cars, you are insanely wealthy compared to the rest of the world. And if you own two cars, a boat, and a Harley, oh man, oh, you are over the moon. Unless it's all finance, then you're just pretending. Okay. But most of us are very wealthy. In fact, if you have a, if you have a household income of $32,000, you are in the top 1% of the world's wealthiest people. If your income is $50,000, you're in the top 0.31% of the world's wealthiest person. And if you earn $100,000 a year household income, you're in the top 0.08%, I don't even know what that number is, world's wealthiest. But it's just, you know, you're, I mean, at the top. If you're in any of these categories and still live with a desire of always wanting more, always wanting more, could it be that you haven't yet learned to say, what I have is enough? Most of us have more than enough. Okay, third way to combat this inner turmoil is live with humility because James says God opposes the proud. Now, God isn't just neutral about pride. James says, God actually works against those who are arrogant. Dangerous thing to be prideful. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace. He says he gives grace to the humble. And the question is, how does being humble help control this untamed desire that leads to fighting and quarreling? Well, humility, in part, is saying, God, all that I have comes from you. And I'm so grateful for it. Humility is saying, God, you are the source of everything I have. You gave me life, strength, ability, intelligence. Everything I have is because of you. It comes from you, and I'm so grateful. So that if I get jealous and start to fight and quarrel for all the things I don't have, and I think I deserve, deserve more, it's really saying, God, you blew it. You blew it for me. What I have is not enough. I deserve more, so much more than I have. It's really an arrogant slap in God's face. And James says, God opposes that. But he gives grace and goodness to those who humbly just every day get up and say, God, thank you for the life I have. Thank you for the salvation you've given me. All that you've given me is good and it is enough. And I'm so grateful for all the things I do have instead of being angry and all churned up about all the things I don't have. God, I'm grateful. That's a humble spirit. But I can tell you, humility will be tested in you every single day. 
A couple weeks ago, I was in Nashville for a one-day conference with, with Dave Ramsey and John Maxwell, and these are two just incredible leaders, especially in the Christian world. And my assigned seat, I have no idea how this happened, my assigned seat for dinner first night was right next to John Maxwell, prolific author, I mean, just unbelievable. And then next to John Maxwell was Dave Ramsey, and next to Ramsey was Mark Batterson, who's a pastor in Washington, D.C., and has written 16 books, New York Times bestseller. Next to Mark Batterson was Chris Hodges, who's a senior pastor of uh, Church of the Highlands in Birmingham. 40,000 people attend his church every week. And I'm sitting around this table, and I'm thinking, somebody got the seating chart wrong. Why, why am I sitting here? And, you know, we started talking about things, and, and uh, about midway through the dinner, John Maxwell, this huge author and leader, looks over at Mark Batterson and says, so Mark, tell us about your new book that's coming out. And you know, I have kind of a thing about books. And so Mark very deflects the question, very humbly says, well, Chris Hodges has a book coming out this very day. And so Chris tells us about his book and then Mark tells us about his book. And then Dave Ramsey pointed at John Maxwell and said, John Maxwell has written 90 books, has sold 25 million copies. And John sat there, you know, and... They weren't arrogant about it. They were just having conversation. And then John said, well, Ramsey's no slouch. Ramsey's written X number of books. He's got 15 million copies. This whole time I'm sitting there just, just in silence. I felt like I was in junior high again. This conversation going back, back and forth. And I just sat there. And I thought, why doesn't somebody ask me about my books? I want somebody to ask me about my two books because I would very humbly say, and I'm working on a third in fact, my agent drove down from Louisville and he's sitting right over there. I wanted to say that, but nobody asked me. I was having this pity party. But I was working on this message and this verse came to mind. Bob, relax. Because God gives grace to the humble. Just be quiet. You don't have to prop yourself up. You don't have to say anything. Let your life, let your character, let your work speak for itself, and God will somehow in some way honor that. He'll bless that, so gang, stay humble. Be thankful for all that God's given you, and the need to fight and quarrel and compare and get all kind of jealous and worked up will just begin to fade because you're humble and you're grateful, and you're going to let God's character speak for itself through you. Final thing that kind of combats this is live like a mist. Love this. Look what James says about our life. He says, listen, those of us who say, you know, today or tomorrow, we're going to go do this. We're going to go to that city. We're going to spend a year. We're going to carry on business. We're going to make money. We got all these plans. He says, you don't even know What's going to happen tomorrow? He goes on. What is your life? I love that question. He says, you're a mist that appears for just a blink, and then it vanishes. Our life is just a mist. It just, anyone then, he says, who knows the good he should do and doesn't do it, sins. He's not against planning. He's against assuming that we have tomorrow promised to us. Gang, we don't have tomorrow. 
We have this very moment, that's it. We have this, do we appreciate this moment? Do I, I, and I'm so bad at this, but I want you to just take a moment to appreciate the moment right now where you are, sitting next to who you are, and maybe you don't like that person, I don't know, but just appreciate it. You can be in this place or listen online. This is the only moment you have. James says, you don't have tomorrow. Promised. He says, we're like a mist that appears for a while, then vanishes. So then he says, whatever good you're supposed to do, do it now. I want to live like a mist. I want to live in the moment. I want to live today. One of the things I don't want to do is is just regret missing all these little opportunities to do good that come my way every single day, and they're so easy to miss. So six months ago, we got a wedding invitation, and it was for the son of my wife's sister, Carolyn, but I immediately dismissed it because it was in Baltimore. And who wants to go to Baltimore? I mean, for anything, especially a wedding. And if you're watching from Baltimore, I love Baltimore. I, actually, it's actually a great city. Anyway, so it was going to be a very expensive trip, flights, hotel, and, you know, time away. And just as an aside, Lori's sister, Carolyn, and I have some history. And we used to butt heads big time. Goes way back to when I was dating her sister, Lori, in high school. I didn't like the crowd that Carolyn hung with, and she didn't like me always pointing that out to her. In fact, this was our prom night. Everybody's happy. I mean, Carolyn's in the foreground, and we're just fighting. We just didn't like each other at all. And so I was, look at my jaw. I mean, I was like, ooh, just like, can't stand this person. So for about 10 years, Carol and I avoided each other, but then we turned 40. We thought, what what are we fighting about? Today, she's one of my favorite people. Devout Christian, she's a pro-life advocate who helps teenage girls through pregnancy. And it just meant the world to Carolyn that Lori and I would spend time and money to come to her son's wedding in Baltimore. And the night we were getting ready to leave, to come home, we were saying our goodbyes, and Carolyn singled me out of the crowd. And she said, Bob, I can't tell you how much it means to us that you came to Andy's wedding. And I kind of brushed it off, and I said, oh, cares. it's our honor, wouldn't miss it. And then she, she, she did something I will never forget. She took my face in her hands and she said, Bob, look at me. Look at me. Tears were pooling in her eyes. She said, I will never forget that you came. And the words you said in your toast to my son, Andy, about being a real man, was so good, and it was so good for every young man to hear. And then she said, I love you. She actually said, I love you, Chappie. That's Carolyn's nickname for him. Don't even ask, Chappie. (laughs) You know, we we arrived home tired. I was behind at work. I hadn't exercised in four days, but it was so, so worth it. The moment sitting with Tim and Carolyn and Molly and Dave and all our nieces and nephews was so good. Gang, I have missed way too many of those moments. And I I can't go to every wedding. In fact, I missed two other family weddings this summer, but 
I love how James just reminded me. Bob, what is your life? What are you going for? What has value? He says, you're, you're just a mist. It appears for a while and then it vanishes. So if you know the good you should do and you don't do it. So as we close today, I just want to ask a question for you. Gang, if you knew that today was your final day or tomorrow or next week, what would you do? Who would you call? Who would you go visit? Would you spend your final days worrying about your house? Worrying about your car? Would you spend your final week worrying about the stock market swings or the number in your portfolio? Would you worry about that? Or would you book a flight to go see your dad or your daughter or your son or your friend? James says, look, Stop fighting. It's not worth it. Stuff isn't worth getting all worked up over. So if you know the good you should do, he says, go do it. Go say it. Write the note. Send the text. Get on a plane and live like a mist. Because true meaning in life is found in the people you love. Not the things or money that you have. And next week we get to conclude in a, just a fantastic message. It's about bold prayers, audacious prayers that God answers. And God wants to answer prayers in your life and mine. And I invite you back. So at all campuses online, glad to have you guys with us. Let's stand for closing prayer and be on our way today. Let's pray. God, thank you for these words that you really spoke to me about, about my own life. And God, I struggle with this. I struggle with getting jealous and getting angry at times. And why does that person have what he or she has and I don't? Why are they so successful? Why have they written so many books? And you're just kind of gently saying to me, Bob, get over it. I made you who you are. You're my son. I've given you life. I've given you everything you have. That's enough. And so, God, I pray that for all of us, that we would just say, man, what is it? Can we let it go? Thank you, God, for this great reminder from this man, James, that we'll have a privilege to meet someday in heaven. We love you and worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for coming out.